John 12, 37 to 43. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said, because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we pray, Lord, that you will teach us here in this passage that we should always seek for your praise, your approval, not trust in men, not trust in ourselves. Give us faith, give us confidence to courageously speak forth and act according to your holy and righteous word. May we see that we must do so as we have true faith. May we do so in true faith to follow our Lord and Savior faithfully and not men. May we understand this, may we learn this from this portion of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We've come to the last part of this paragraph where the Apostle John has been explaining that though Christ had performed many signs, preached many times, explained many things to the people, they would not believe. They would not believe, they did not believe, in verse 37. But this is no new thing. For Isaiah the prophet, in verse 38, preached that this would happen. It happened in Isaiah's time, and it would happen also in the time of the ministry of Christ. Isaiah predicted this in Isaiah 53, verse 1, from verse 38. And furthermore, this is according to the purpose of God. This is according to the secret will of God. In verses 39 to 40, God brought this about on purpose, deliberately, intentionally. God's will superseded and is master over human will. Human will is culpable, is guilty for what unbelief that rises up within them, and God will hold them accountable. But at the same time, John the Apostle teaches in verses 39 to 40 that God's will is what hardened the human heart to avoid believing in Christ. Furthermore, we see in verse 41, or we saw in verse 41, that Isaiah said these things because he, Isaiah, saw the glory of Christ. And Isaiah spoke of Christ. That is the clear the clear summary and clear explanation, assertion of verse 41. Isaiah saw Christ, Isaiah spoke of Christ. And last time we saw from several examples in the book of Isaiah, from the beginning to the end of the book of Isaiah, several examples of how clearly Isaiah predicted or prophesied the person and work of Christ. He did so, and John tells us so right here in verse 41. However, verses 42 and 43, the rulers, 
the rulers among the religious leadership, the religious authorities of the day, some of them or many of them believed that what Jesus said about himself based on the Old Testament was actually true. Yet, they didn't believe in him for their salvation. They believed in, they believed in what he said was factually true, true in terms of knowledge or head knowledge, true in terms of evidence, true in terms of the indisputable correct interpretation of many Old Testament passages. They knew that everything he said was truthful, factual, evidential, could not be overturned, could not be refuted and contradicted. They knew what was true because it was right before their very eyes. They knew that in front of them was an elephant or in front, in front of them was a monkey. In front of them was a huge rock. They knew the obvious truth that was sitting right in front of them. But the astounding part about it, the appalling part about it, the offensive part about it is that they knew what was factually true but were not motivated, were unmoved in their heart to believe in what is factually true for their own salvation, for the salvation of their eternal souls. That's what the Apostle explains in verses 42 to 43. And what happens here in 42 to 43 is nothing unique to the rulers he mentions here. But this is the common human experience that many people who hear the gospel, who hear the truth of God's word, who are shown the evidence of God's word, they are shown the evidence of a changed life in, in the people who believe in God's word. They have an abundance of evidence, both biblical evidence and external evidence. That abundance of evidence cannot be refuted. So the people will either say, yes, what you're saying is right. Yes, what you're saying is true. Yes, yes, your life has changed and it has changed for the better. They will say those things, factually speaking. However, they will remain unmoved. They will remain unbelievers. They will remain in the state of refusal to act on what they know is true. That's what they will do. We see that here in 42 to 43. But why is it that people do so? Because they seek the approval of men rather than the approval of God. They seek for the praise of men rather than the, the praise of God. They fear man rather than fearing God. That is why they do so. They succumb to their own flesh and the flesh of others so that there might be flattery toward one another, praise toward one another, glory toward one another. This is what they do. That's what John says here in 42 to 43. Let's see this in greater detail. 42. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. The rulers, many of the rulers, this is presumably, likely, 70 rulers, 70 of the religious leadership composed of 
scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, elders of the people, the chief priests, all of these in their different roles and offices, they were the head, the religious head, the religious rulers of the people of Israel. And among them, they, many of them, believed that what John said, what Jesus said, what the apostles preached, what was happening in their own day was true, was right. It says right there, many even of the rulers believed in him. It says so, the rulers believed in him. The same rulers that John has been mentioning earlier, the same ones such as chapter 7, 7, 726. The people wonder this. In chapter 7, verse 26. And look, he is speaking publicly, and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? The people are perplexed. What's going on with these rulers? He's speaking publicly, and they're not refuting him. He's speaking publicly, and they're not arresting him. Why? Because they know what he's saying is true. They can't refute it. They can't refute it in public because if they try to refute it in, refute it in public, the onlookers, the, the spectators are going to say, Jesus is telling the truth. These other people are fools. They don't know what they're talking about. That's why they didn't do anything. John 7, John 7 and verse 48, 7, 48. No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? They're worried. They're worried that Christ is going to pick off some of the leadership of the nation and persuade them to believe in the gospel. They're worried about it. The rulers are worried about it. Well, by the time we get to John 12, some of that actually does occur. They are believing factually that Jesus is the Christ. He is their savior. He is their mediator. He is the, the source or, or the object of all that the prophets of the Old Testament had been preaching. They know that he is so. However, what is it? What is it here? But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. You see, this belief, we need to show and prove that this belief is a false belief. False faith or bogus belief. That's really what is going on here. That's why he's saying, but, because of the Pharisees. Yes, they believe, but it's mere knowledge. It's mere factual knowledge. It's not true knowledge. It's not salvific knowledge. It's not saving knowledge. Let's show that. John 2, 23. John 2:23 The apostle has been comparing and contrasting the difference between true faith and false faith. He does so throughout this book. The first example we find is John 2:23 to 25 of false faith. 2:23 And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast many believed in his name beholding his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. It says, Many people at the Passover believed in his name because of his miracles. 
But though they believed in his name, Jesus did not entrust himself to them. They believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in them. Remember, the word entrust is also the word to believe in the original language of verse 24. John 2.24 But Jesus on his part was not believing in them. We could render it. He was not believing in them. They believe in him, but he doesn't believe in them. Why does Jesus not believe in them? Why does he not take their profession of faith, what they claim about him to be true? Because he knows all men and he doesn't need anyone to bear witness to testify concerning what's in man because Christ knows what's in man. He knew that their belief was a bogus belief. So he didn't believe them when they believed in him. John 8, John 8, 31. John 8, 31, the whole of the rest of this chapter, 8, 31 to 59, gives us evidence of this fact. We'll read just a few excerpts from it. 831, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him. Do they believe him? Do they believe in him? Yes. It says, to those Jews who had believed him. He's telling that audience of believers. But are they true believers or bogus believers? True or false believers? 31. He tells them, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If you abide, if you remain, if you stay, if you hold fast to my word, in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Why would he put forth a challenge to these new believers? Why would he put a challenge to this group of new believers? Because he knew they were bogus believers. And their bogusness, their falsehood, manifests itself beginning at verse 33, all the way from 33 to 59. In 33, they say they're not enslaved to anyone. How can you say, be free? I'm not a slave of anyone. And in 37, Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. You're seeking to kill me, yet you say you believe in me? How can you believe in me if you're trying to kill me? And 41, 41 to 47, Jesus says, you are doing the deed, 41, you are doing the deeds of your father. And who is their father? Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. They belong to Satan, the devil, he says. Verse 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Who is he telling? He's telling these believers in verse 31. The believers of 31. In 49, he says, you dishonor me. Why? Because they accused him of being a Samaritan and demon-possessed. And then in 55, he calls them a liar. Verse 55, you are a liar, liars. And in 59, what do they want to do? Stone him to death. The ones who say 
they believe in him, want to stone him to death. These are just a few of the examples in John and the Bible that show that it doesn't do, when the Bible says believer, you have to read it in context to know, is the Bible explaining a true believer or a false believer? A true convert or a false convert? We have to ask that question because the Bible is trying to say, show us there are different examples of true believers and false believers. And you need to be able to discern, distinguish, to know the difference between who's true and who is false. The same here in our text. They are not true believers. And then, what is it that tempts them? What is it that tempts them? It says, because of the Pharisees, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. We might say peer pressure. Don't we teach children in school? Now, son, don't succumb to peer pressure. Right? Don't we say that? We should say that. In school, when the, if they go to a public school, public or private school, when they, whenever they go like that, or even in the neighborhood with friends, don't, don't, no peer pressure, don't succumb to peer pressure, don't give in, don't give in. If they say this, then don't do it. Say no, we don't do those things. Isn't that the case? If that's the case in daily life, well, that's also the case with adults. Adults have peer pressure. In this guild, in this society of the rulers, the rulership of the people, the religious authorities, the Pharisees are among the rulers and they're afraid of what the Pharisees are going to say to them. They are afraid of their peers. In this case, also, their professional peers. Well, what will they say about me? What will they think of me? What will they do to me? And what is it that they will do? Throw them out or put them out of the synagogue. This is also in John. John 9.22, John has said that this has already been decreed or set up by the rulers, the scribes, or the Sadducees, the Pharisees. It's been already commanded or instituted. John 9.22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. The parents are afraid, just like the rulers are afraid. They don't want to be thrown out or put out of the synagogue. They don't want to lose their place of worship. They don't want to lose their influence in the synagogue. They don't want to lose their friendships in the synagogue. They don't want their friends and their family in the synagogue and in the neighborhood to start saying bad things, nasty things about them. They don't want that to happen. The parents don't. They would rather claim ignorance. Well, I don't know. We don't know how our blind son was healed. You could ask him. Just go ahead. Ask him. We don't know. They know, but they're lying that they don't know. And they're saying, go ask him. You see how this kind of pressure, this kind of threat of men has so overwhelmed even parents? Don't you think the parents 
were full of anguish, full of grief, knowing that their son was born blind. And for the many years in which he lived that way, and even lived outside of the house that way, in the kind of circumstance he had to experience all of his life, their own flesh, their own son lived this way. And that love of son did not motivate them to speak up and, and say the truth. They didn't do it. They avoided it. Why? Because they would rather have the praise of the synagogue, the people of the synagogue, leaders and the common people of the synagogue, they wanted the approval of the synagogue people rather than a restored and joyous, loving relationship with their own son. That's what Christ did. They didn't want that with their own son. In fact, when the son confessed Christ, in verse 34, 9.34, the healed son who now sees, John 9.34 to 35, they answered and said to him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? And they put him out. They put him out means put him out of the synagogue. 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? They did throw him out, but he continued to believe. Not his parents, but he did. And it's not only true of those individuals. John 16, it will be true of the disciples. It'll be true of us too. John 16, 1 to 4. This temptation to receive the wrath of our friends who will now become our foes. John 16, 1 to 4. These things I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Jesus warned the disciples that they would do the same to them. He even warns all of us in Luke 6. Luke 6, 22. Luke 6, 22. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and heap insults on, upon you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. If we are so attached to Christ... We are living and believing the way we should according to Christ, the Son of Man, for His sake. Then there's a blessing on us. God blesses us in the midst of their curse. So the blessing of God in the midst of the curse of man. The curse of man is accompanied by hatred, ostracizing us, meaning removing us from their, from their spheres, like the synagogue or the church or the family or the workplace, wherever, they will separate from us. 
They will also heap insults upon us. Heap insults. Well, he was, uh, he was actually a very stupid person anyways. He was really an unlikable person anyways. He didn't know how to get along with people anyways. We really didn't like him anyways. That's what they'll say. They'll heap insults. And spurn your name as evil. Spurn your name as evil. They will slander us. They will say evil things about us and what we believe. Nothing new. Christ said these things will happen. He even told them that these things would happen. But what happened to them? They were more motivated by what men thought of them than what Christ thought of them. Also, we notice another evidence of their unbelief. It says in John 12, 42, another evidence of their unbelief. It says they were not confessing him. They were not confessing him. That means openly they would not confess. They would not admit that they belong to Christ, that they believed in Christ. They would not openly do so. They would secretly do so, but not openly confess Him. If we do not openly confess Christ, is it evidence of unbelief or not? The answer is yes. If we do not openly confess, it is in fact evidence of unbelief. Open confession, if there's no open confession, then there's actually unbelief inside. How do we know? Romans 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10. We may start at verse 8. We'll read 8 to 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart he believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Confession. The apostle makes it clear that by confession, he is speaking of the mouth. He says it twice. In verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, not confess silently, but with your mouth. Verse 10, with the mouth he confesses, confessing Christ as Lord, Lord and Savior. If we have that confession, if that is embedded and that is intricate to our belief, then we truly believe. But if it's absent, then we don't truly believe. 1 John 4, 1 John 4, 15. 1 John 4, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. If we do have this confession, confession of what? That Jesus is the Son of God, similar to what Paul said in Romans 10. If we have this confession, then what is the result? 
God abides. God remains. God stays. He lives in us and we in God. That is true. If the confession is there, then this is true of us. The relationship is true of us. Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 32 to 33. Matthew 10, 32 to 33. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Another piece of evidence that confession has to do with the public display of our faith, a public pronouncement of our faith. It says, before men. If we do so, then Christ will also confess us, commend us before his Father in heaven. But what if we don't confess him? What if, in fact, we deny him? Are you a Christian? No, 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 I'm not a Christian. What if that happens? If we deny him before men, it says in 33, Christ also will deny us before the Father in heaven. That means there's no salvation. Evidence that you don't have salvation. You don't actually believe. Furthermore, let's confirm this matter of faith. That faith or belief, if we have true faith, then we will have confession of the true gospel of Christ. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 13. 2 Corinthians 4, 13. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak. The same spirit of faith, the same spirit of faith we have, right? We have in common with whom? We have in common with Psalm 116.10. In Psalm 116.10, he wrote, I believed, therefore I spoke. Well, just like that happened, it will happen with us. We also believe, therefore also we speak. Why don't people speak up? Why don't people confess? Why don't people candidly, forthrightly say what's true in any given occasion? According to this verse, because they don't believe. They might say they believe, but they don't really believe. If they really believed, they would have that conviction of faith to speak up and say, no, sir, that's wrong. Well, sir, actually, I am a Christian, and let me tell you what a true Christian is. He would speak up. He would confess Christ. He would speak up if he has faith. If he does not have faith, he will not speak. If he does have faith, he will speak. Is that not what the verse is teaching? 2 Corinthians 4.13? And speaking of that and true faith, Hebrews 11 Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, 
we know from Hebrews 11:6, without faith it is impossible to please him. And this faith he means true faith. He's not speaking of false faith, he means true faith. Without faith, without true faith, it is impossible to please him. And in Hebrews 11:13, he says that the saints of old, they confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's our word, confess. They confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They told their enemies, they told their foes, do what you want to me, but I believe in Christ and I have a heavenly home. I'm an, I'm an exile here, I'm a stranger here, I'm a foreigner on the earth, but I'm a friend of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. They would tell their persecutors to their face, do what you want to me. I confess Christ as my Lord and Savior. Put me to death if that's the case, because I don't belong to this earth. It says that. True faith is necessary, otherwise we don't please Him. And true faith manifests itself in confession. Well, we've also said the word conviction. The conviction of faith. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. Isn't faith paralleled? Isn't faith explained or defined? And this assurance and the conviction, all of this is a part of having true faith. If we have true faith, we have assurance. If we have true faith, we have conviction. Conviction of the unseen hoped for things. Right? Right? So why is it that people don't confess? Why is it that people don't speak up? Because they don't have conviction. They don't have assurance that the unseen truths of the gospel are real, are true. They don't have faith in those truths. They don't. That's why they don't speak up. That's why they don't confess openly, forthrightly, and publicly whenever their faith is challenged. John 12, in John 12, 43... The Apostle proceeds to say more, and in a sense, this is a summary of what we have already said. John 12, 43, he says, For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. The approval of men rather than the approval of God. That's the problem. In the original language, this word approval is the word for glory. We might render it, for they loved the glory of men rather than the glory of God. And this use of the word glory means the praise of men. The praise. The nice things, the good things, the flattering things. The flattery that men can offer to us. And flattery, we're talking about empty words. We're not talking about true words when we use the, the, the word flattery. By flattery, we mean 
that people will say that you are swell. People will say that you are the funniest person they know. You are the most handsome person they know. You are the most beautiful woman I know. They will say things like that in order to flatter you and disarm you. That is the kind of praise or flattery or glory the Apostle means here when he's talking about the approval of men or the flattery of men, the glory of men. He means it in that way. And he's saying that people have a penchant for that. They love that. They want that. They want people to always say good things and nice things about them. In our culture today, don't we have this cliche to be a nice guy? To be a nice guy? You want to be known as a nice guy? But what is a nice guy? But someone who lives contrary to Christ. In their mind, in the mind of the world. And we want to be known as the nice guy because we want the glory, the approval, the praise of men. It shouldn't matter what men think of us. It should not matter. We're not talking about genuine encouragement and genuine truthful words. We're talking about flattery, glory, glorying in men. That's what we're talking about. The empty words of men who manipulate and distort the reality of the occasion. The reality of who you actually are. We're talking about that. And people love that. He says so. They loved, they loved the approval of men. That is where the fundamental problem lies. The approval of men. I want these people, I want everybody, I want so-and-so to like me, to love me, to approve of me, to praise me, to flatter me. Yes, some people live on flattery. That should not be the case. When that is the case, it shows unbelief. Those who live on a diet of the flattery of men do not believe the true gospel. They do not believe the true gospel. According to John the Apostle. Do not believe. Let's see some more of this in terms of the glory of men. John 5, John 5, 44. John 5, 44. If we want the glory of men, we do not believe. John 5, 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? How can you believe? Which means they don't believe, they can't believe because they are obsessed with the glory from one another instead of glory from God. John 5, 45. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. There will be accusation against those who glory in men on the day of judgment. There will be accusation from the Father, from Christ, and from Moses. They think Moses is their friend, but on the day of judgment, they will see Moses is their foe, their staunch enemy on the day of judgment. 
We already saw in John 9.22, John 9.22, the parents of the man healed of blindness, what did they want? They wanted the glory, they wanted the praise, they wanted the approval of all the people in the synagogue. That's what they wanted. Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51, 12 to 16. Isaiah 51, 12. 51, 12. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and of the Son of Man who is made like grass, that you have forgotten the Lord your Maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy? But where is the fury of the oppressor? The exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. God is our comforter. God is our powerful Lord who is able to cause nature to do whatever it does. He's able to set captives free, and he is able to establish the heavens and found the earth. God's great power does all that. So why should we fear our enemies, he says? Why do we fear our enemies? What causes us to fear our enemies? Well, we forget that he says, you are my people. And he'll protect us. And we also have pride. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? Who are you is meant to prick our pride? Who are you? We're not anybody special. So why is it that we think we should be treated in a special manner? We already read Jeremiah 17. And in Jeremiah 17, 5... He told us that there's a curse on us if we trust in men. A curse on us. Do we want the blessing of God or the curse of God? If we want the blessing of men, we receive the curse of God. It's better to have the curse of men and the blessing of God, which results in eternal life. Then... Examples of the glory of God. Glory of God. We find Jesus teaching us this in Matthew 10, 28. Matthew 10, 28. That our mind, our, our heart, our faith should be, should be focused on the glory of God. The praise of God. The first Example, Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but afterwards are unable to kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Christ taught us to fear God. 
seek His approval, His glory, His praise, because He can destroy our souls in hell, which is forever. But men only can destroy our bodies. Yes, we might suffer much pain if they torture us and put us to death. But think about eternal torture. The curse of man is temporary torture. The curse of God is eternal torment. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, 28 to 29. Romans 2, 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. We shouldn't boast on outward circumstances, whether we are a Jew outwardly, or even whether we have been circumcised in the flesh. We should not boast in physical things, our heritage, our ancestry. We should not boast in those things, but in inward things, circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. And when that's the case, our praise is not from men, but from God. Accept approval, glory, praise from God, not from men. It's better to have Christ say, Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master. That's praise from Christ. It's better to have that than to have praise from men. Why does it matter if you are a Jew or, an, or, or not? Whether you have been circumcised or not. Why does that matter? Anything physical matter. He's just illustrating here. Anything physical we might say. Why does that matter? The spiritual should matter. And then James 1 verse 12. James 1, verse 12. He teaches us here that it is worth it. It is worth it. James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. This blessing is from God. We want the blessing of God, not the curse of God. But meantime, we must persevere under trial. Well, what are the trials? The animosity of men, the hatred of men. That will be a part of our trials. We have to persevere. And then, once we are approved, approved by whom? Approved by men? No. Approved by God. Once we are approved by God, he says he will receive the crown of life. Don't we want the crown of life? Or do we want the judgment, the sentence of death? The crown of life we want. And who will supply it? The Lord has promised to those who love him. Those who love him. Not love the approval of men, but the approval of God. If we love the approval of God and love God, showing that we want the approval of God, showing we have true faith, 
This is what we will receive. What's better? Eternal blessing, eternal approval, the eternal crown of life, the eternal promises of God, the eternal love of God, if we truly love Him. We have seen we should not trust man. Don't trust man. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about man. Don't do that at all. Always, steadfastly, trust God. Trust His Word. Trust His promises. Love Him and speak up, confess, and follow the path of righteousness. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.